Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. If the world is established, it shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exalt and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. This for the reading of God's holy word. Again, our text, bring an offering and come into his courts. Brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, our Lord, if you had opportunity to speak to a neighbor, co-worker, somebody that's unchurched, somebody that doesn't know the Lord, and if you had opportunity to say, well, you should come to church with me this Sunday or even today on Thanksgiving Monday. If you said to them, hey, you should come to church, what would you tell them to prepare? How would you encourage them to get ready? If they were to say, well, I'd love to come, but is there something, I need, something special I need to wear? Is there something, what do I need to do to, to fit in to the church? And I think that we would say, well, you know, do wear something, whatever, respectful. It, that doesn't, it's not the end of the world. But just come. It's more important that you come than, than that what you wear is uh, important. And, and that's, of course, true. But would you say to them, but make sure, above all else, what you wear doesn't really matter, but, but make sure, you, you better make sure that you bring an offering. That you bring something to put in the offering bag when it's passed by uh, the pew. My guess is probably not. In fact, there was uh, uh, some years ago at Willow Creek, uh, a church, one of the first mega churches, uh, started by a fellow by the name of Bill Hybels. Um, and, and he created what we might be familiar with, the seeker-sensitive service. Maybe we've heard that word before. And, and so he created a worship service on a Sunday morning that, that was totally designed to make unchurched people, unchurched Harry and Mary they were called, unchurched people comfortable so that they wouldn't you know, feel out of place, that they wouldn't uh, imagine that they were worthless and, and under judgment, that they would feel a positive experience. He, he hired professional singers and professional musicians. There was no volunteering uh, in this church to that extent. Uh, he got rid of the sermon. You didn't want somebody reading from the Word of God and maybe reading you know, something wrong out of Leviticus or something like that and just scaring the people. So he got rid of the sermon uh, and he got rid of the offering. He got rid of the offering entirely because he, he said, well, you know, people uh, always assume the church is just trying to put their hands in their pockets, and so you should uh, get rid of that, and, and don't, don't do that, and that way people will see that church is in fact very different, that it's not what they think it is, it's not this place where uh, uh, we tell people they're bad and, and they got to do better, it's not a place that is boring and, and uh, uh, not very fun, it, and it's not a place where all we're interested in is separating you from your wallet. And that was a very successful church. It was an enormously successful church. But what Bill Hybels thought and what the psalmist thought were diametrically opposed. 
Because the psalmist in Psalm 96, in verse 7 says, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. So he's, he's saying to the world, not to the church here. This is not a stanza for the church. This is a stanza for the world. He says to the world. He says to everybody that is unchurched. He says, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glories due to His name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. And we need to wrestle with why he says that and, 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 and how that, that expresses the very thanksgiving that we are to have today. A, a thanksgiving that comes with an offering before the Lord. That word offering, by the way, is a word that can describe any gift brought by a worshiper to God, to church. In the Old context, Old Testament context, that meant going to the temple and going to the priest. And if any gift you brought was what this word describes. There were, of course, lots of kinds of offerings that Israel was supposed to bring to the Lord. Some of those offerings were intended to acknowledge their sin. Do you think of the guilt offering, the sin offering? Some of those offerings were meant for Thanksgiving days like today, the first fruits of their crops they were to bring to the house of God to express their gratitude. Some of those offerings expressed or enjoyed fellowship with God. It was actually a meal that you ate in the presence of the Lord with his representatives, the priests. In, in all sorts of ways, uh, uh, Israel was to bring offerings to the Lord, to his courts. Uh, but in each of those different offerings, there was at least a common theme. And in each of those offerings, whatever the offering was for, the Israelite was to bring it as an acknowledgement of God's priority, of God's blessing in their lives. Every offering, whether it was a sin offering, whether it was a fellowship offering, was a saying, God, you're the most important person in my life, and I love and want to serve you. And that, that's what is in, entailed here when the psalmist says, bring an offering. He's really saying, first of all, come to church. He's saying this to the world. Come to church, seeing the priority of God and offering yourself to him in gratitude. And the reason it's important to understand that is not only because it sort of pushes us off the materialistic side of this question, which we'll get to in our second point, but because it helps us understand something rather unusual about this text in that this was an impossible thing for Gentiles to do. This was not allowed. There was no reason for any Gentile to do this. What Gentile would say, what Assyrian or Egyptian or Phoenician or Philistine would say, God is most important in my life. I love him the most and I want to live for him. None of them would say that. And none of them were allowed to say that. They couldn't come into the courts of God in order to worship the Lord. You remember that uh, the temple and the uh, tabernacle before it um, one of the things that define these two places where God dwelt, these were God's homes. The one was a tent that traveled with the Israelites when they were um, uh, walking to, from Egypt to, to uh, 
the promised land, and then the other was the temple that Solomon built, that beautiful home for God. That's where God lived. That was his house. And, and if you wanted to go visit God, that's where you would go. You'd go to his house. But between God, who was in the most holy place, and the worshiper, there were a lot of barriers preventing you from getting anywhere near God. Because God is a righteous God, a, a thrice holy God. He's a God that abides no sinners in his presence. He wants nothing to do with sin. And so when the Gentiles were to come, if they were to show up and say, I'll go to church with you in the Old Testament context, God would say, well, no, you're not allowed to come. You've got to stay outside. You're not allowed to come through the first set of doors, let alone the second or third set of doors. You can't come into my house. So if the Gentiles weren't allowed to come into the house, then why is it that the psalmist here invites them to do that very thing? And to do that very thing by offering themselves in gratitude for God's goodness towards them. Right? That's what this is calling the world to do, to bring an offering that is to express the worshiper's joy to come to church because of what God's done. To enter, as Augustine says, to enter with a humble heart into the house of God And so by doing that, enter with a present, right? The present, the offering, the gift, is not, first of all, uh, cash. Uh, It's not, first of all, your ability to sing. It is, first of all, your humble heart. As Calvin writes about this text, we may very properly learn from the words that we ought not to come empty-handed into the presence of God, And joined as we are to present ourselves and all that we have as a reasonable service unto Him. Now the thing is, is the Gentiles weren't allowed to do that. Not in the Old Testament. It wouldn't be, of course, until the New Testament that this prophecy, this promise of the psalmist in Psalm 96 would come to pass. It wasn't until Jesus came. It wasn't until he died on the cross. It wasn't until you remember that when Jesus cried, just before he finished his work, just before he declared it is finished, you remember the curtain tore in two. That curtain that separated the holy place, the most holy place from the holy place, that prevented people from getting close to God, that door was opened when Jesus died. And when Jesus died, a new and living way into the presence of our God was made available to all who acknowledge their need of His grace, to all sinners who humble themselves before the Lord and cry out to Him for mercy. All such people, says the Word of God, are welcome in the house of God. And that includes us because we, I don't think there's any Jews among us, I don't think there's any direct descendants of Abraham among us, which means we're all Gentiles, which means we're all beneficiaries of this word, which means this is a word to us. And this is a word to us that is only possible because Jesus Christ came. And indeed, that that means, therefore, that when we go to church, whether it's on a Sunday or on a Thanksgiving Monday, when we go to church, it must always be Because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. 
Because we have been given access to the Most High God. Because we have found a place before the Lord who welcomes us with open arms and invites us into His presence that we might worship Him. That is to say that verse 8 of Psalm 96 is so much more than just about the offering bag. This is really a verse that describes the way that our entire attitude to worship ought to be. That every Sunday, and certainly on Thanksgiving Monday, we ought to come precisely because we're so thankful for what God has done. Because God is the priority of our lives, and we are grateful for every gift that He has bestowed upon us. Especially the open door that has been made possible through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's what this text is asking of us. It's saying, when you come to church, are you coming to church happy? Are you coming to church thankful? Are you coming to church grateful? Too easily, we adopt a consumer mentality when it comes to church. That's because of the world in which we live. We live, we move in this environment that tells us we're consumers and that as consumers, the customer is always right. And so we approach life, marriage, work, everything with this consumer mentality. Am I getting what I want? Am I, am I benefiting? I've given a little bit, that's fine, but did it, what I got in return satisfy me? When it comes to church, we might say things like, did the songs move my heart? Or did the sermon lift my spirit? Or challenge my walk? Or inspire my gratitude? Did the prayers speak to my priorities? And while none of these things ought to be dismissed, of course, what if worship is, first of all, about us undeserving, should never be allowed to be here, are outside of God's presence by nature, but welcomed by His love in Jesus Christ? What if worship is first of all about saying, God, thank You for saving me. And thank You for including me among the company of Your people. And thank You that I can come and offer myself. That's the offering. The offering we bring into His courts, first of all, is the offering of us. That we say to God, so great is Your gift that I give myself promptly and sincerely to you. That's what the psalmist is challenging us to do in this text. And that's the challenge we need to, to, to wrestle with and challenge ourselves with today, certainly, but every day. God so richly blesses us. That's what Thanksgiving's all about. It's about counting our many, many blessings and being able to look over all of our life, even in the times of trial. Maybe some of us are here with a, with a burden on our hearts, but we can still count remarkable gifts of blessing. If nothing else, the gift of Jesus Christ. And are we here to say thank you to God? Are we here to say, wow, God, you are awesome and you deserve my praise. That's what this text is calling us to do. To see worship as an opportunity to thank God for His already experienced mercies. Now, having said that, that doesn't mean that there isn't a tangible element to this uh, uh, passage as well. There is uh, uh, a gift that we are to bring in our hands, you might say, uh, to God. The heart is the first priority. 
But here's the thing that in the Word of God we discover that what lives in the heart finds expression in our hands. And so we ask ourselves, what do our hands bring when we come to church? Consider, the psalmist says, bring an offering that is consciously, thoughtfully prepare something for the church. Now, in the Old Testament, that might have been a lamb, that might have been a bull or a grain offering, that could have been a monetary gift for the support of the temple. There was all sorts of things that they were to bring as an offering into the, uh, into the temple of the Lord in an expression of their gratitude for salvation in Jesus Christ. And in our day, we also are called not only to give ourselves, our lives in thankful devotion to the Lord, that's priority number one, undoubtedly, but we are also called to bring gifts, to bring tangible blessings for the ministry of the gospel, for the work of the church, and for the witness to the world. And we are to do it thoughtfully. Bring an offering, says the psalmist. That is, prepare an offering. Don't just all of a sudden check your pockets and see what's in there. But consciously get ready to bring a gift into the house of God. Now, that's a hard thing to do for all sorts of reasons, not least of which is not many of us have actual currency in our pants or in our cars anymore. Who, who uses money? When was the last time you touched real money? Some of us who are older, of course, can recall. Use, maybe we still do. We don't quite trust our phones or that sort of thing. But generally speaking, I, I don't touch currency in any, uh, in any given week. It's all off of my phone. The only time... Uh, I, I touch currency is when I go to the bank to get money for the offering. And once a month, I go to the bank and we fill out the offering envelopes and then we're ready for the month to bring an offering. Because to fulfill this word of the Lord, we need to make a conscious effort, even a physical effort, maybe driving to the bank, maybe writing a check to ensure that we bring an offering, something of our blessedness of what God has given to us into God's house in gratitude. Now, before we run uh, too quickly down this path uh, that the world wants us to run down, because the world will tell us, see, the church is just really interested in your money, we ought to know that that's not the case. Uh, there is, of course, in Scripture, a very strong emphasis on tangible giving, on our hands bringing a meaningful gift into God's house. You think about David when he went to go bring an offering at Obed-Edom's house, and he said, here, you can, you can have the cart, you can have the bull, you can, I'll provide the material, King David, you can worship with my stuff. And David said in 2 Samuel 24, verse 24, I will not worship the Lord unless it cost me something. Right? Or think of the widow's two pennies. You remember the story of the widow and her two pennies and how she came and she gave out of her want, not out of her uh, abundance. Uh, and, and think about all of those passages. Passages like Malachi 3, verse 8, or Luke 21, verses 1 through 4. And you can think of all of them where, where God says, you know, bring an offering. Do, do something. Bring something into my presence and show that you trust me in your material needs. And... and and the key to understanding that this is an act of trust, not 
the church trying to, to pad its, its own pockets, which can happen, undoubtedly. Which You look around, you see that that's a terrible thing. But it doesn't have to be that way. And indeed, the Lord does not want it to be that way. The Lord who, as Psalm 50 reminds us, has everything He needs. He says, if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. I don't need your gifts. I got the cattle on a thousand hills. That's not why I'm asking you to bring offerings. It's not because I need your money. That's not what the Lord's saying. What the Lord's saying is, rather, I want you to give tangible, concrete evidence that you are grateful, that you see the priority I, pl- I have in your life, that you see how good I am to you, that as James 1 verse 17 says, he's the overflowing fountain of good. I want you to come to church tangibly testifying to your understanding of how good you have it in Jesus Christ. This is what our world misunderstands profoundly. They enjoy, of course, the material blessings of our God, just like we do. The the rain and the sun, of course, falls on the just and the unjust alike. And our world enjoys the providential and material blessings that come from our God, too. But they fail to recognize that these are gifts from a heavenly Father for His children so that they might enjoy His good creation. And even more profoundly, of course, our world fails to recognize that every dollar they've been given, every gift that they have, is a gift that flows from the person and work of Jesus Christ. I mean, think of it. Why should the sun shine on our land at all? Why should there be a springtime and a harvest? Why should there be a prayer day in spring and a thanksgiving day in the fall? I mean, we live in a world that rejects God, that denies Him and refuses to accept His his claim upon them. And everything we know about God tells us that He will not abide any of that rejection, rebellion, wickedness. God hates sin and the sinner who produces it. So why should a holy God daily bless a wicked world? There is only one possible answer. And that answer is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. So that all of the blessings that even the world enjoys, though they do not acknowledge it as a gift from God in Jesus Christ, is still very much a gift from God in Jesus Christ. Which only makes their misuse of those gifts all the worse and more worthy of God's judgment. The world's misuse of God's good gifts is in fact their persistent refusal to admit that God exists and that they are dependent upon Him. It's just one more way, you see, in which man, fallen man, declares his independence from his Creator. Remember how the serpent in the beginning said, you will be like God. You don't have to be under God. You don't have to submit to... You will be God yourself. That independence, that autonomy is what bothers or motivates us 
in all of our sinful living. And that includes then the way that we approach the material gifts that God bestows upon us. We prefer by nature to see those material gifts as entirely independent from the God who has given them. Which also means then you understand that every time the deacons come with the offering bag, that bag presents to us a radical realignment of life and reorientation of our perspective in a consumerist material world. Because every time that bag comes by, we're being reminded everything you have is a gift from God in Jesus Christ. And every time that bag comes by, we're being asked, do you know that? Do you know how blessed you are Do you know how good God is to you? Do you know how rich His love is upon you? Do you know how He cares for you, body and soul? Oh yes, He has given you His Son that you might live eternally with Him, but He's also given you your turkey on Thanksgiving or ham or whatever it is that you eat today. And He's given you your lunch tomorrow and He's given you your dinner on Thursday and He's given you your tractor, your truck. He's given you your fields, your homes. He's given it all. Do you see how much God loves you? Do you see how good He is to you? How good He is in Jesus Christ? You see then, when our eyes are open to see just how marvelous is the Lord's giving, when we realize that the gifts that we enjoy flow from His fatherly hand, that we who are parents would never withhold a thing from our children, how much less would God, who loves us more deeply in Jesus Christ? When we see God in this way, then we can come to the worship of God's name, to the courts of the Lord, with an offering in our hand. Because in that giving of the offering, we are saying to God, I know the truth. I know how good you are. I know how much you love me in Jesus Christ. And I know that this gift is a gift from you. And on the foundation of this confession, we can gladly and confidently offer not just the gifts of the worship service to the Lord, but everything that we have in service to God. The offering that we are called to bring by the psalmist, you see, is not just a little portion, a little bit of our stuff. Here's this big pile of stuff. We'll give a little bit to God. And then we get to keep the rest. Rather, when we come to church, when we take a little bit out of that pile and we give it to the Lord, we are doing it and saying, God, that whole pile's yours. I'm going to spend that pile. I'm going to use that pile for the praise, for the advancement of your kingdom, for the advancement of your church, for schools, for those that are in need, for providing uh, support to those who are struggling. Lord, the entire pile is yours. And as testimony of that, I'm going to take a piece out and I'm going to bring it to church and I'm going to give it to you as a dedication that the entire amount belongs to you. Indeed, we can do that precisely because we are so confident in the God who has provided it. See, that's the difference, isn't it, between the church and the world. It's not that we want money uh, for nefarious, pietistic reasons. We all just want to lie in our pockets. And the world 
as at least open about it. They want to be materialistic, but they're not being, they're not being pietistic about it. The difference between the world and the church is that we have confidence in the provider of every good gift. We know that His gifts in Jesus Christ flow persistently and sufficiently to those who are in need. And whenever we come in the offering to God, we are rejecting the world's perspective on wealth and instead confessing our confidence in a God who loves us. Confident in this, confident in this life. Confident in the life to come. Indeed, we are so certain that God will provide us with what we need. We will gladly offer to Him a portion of what we've been given as a tangible testimony of this confidence. That's why it is, you see, that we have the offering in the worship service. Because it's an act of faith. It's an act of worship. It's an act of answering God, of saying, God, yes, yes. You see, that's why if a neighbor or a coworker were to say, hey, I'm coming to church, is there anything I can bring? We might be cautious about how we explain everything to them, making sure that they don't misunderstand what we're about. But we might say to them, you know what? It would be good if you brought an offering. Oh, I, I knew it. I knew you people were just in it for the money. Oh, no, no. You should bring an offering because of how good God's been to you already. Because you're coming with me to thank God. We're not coming to get something. We're coming because we've been given everything. And you ought to say thank you. It's time that you started to see your material gifts as a blessing from God in Jesus Christ. The world needs this mentality. This let go of your stuff and cling to the Savior trusting in His love mentality. And we can show it to them when we bring an offering and come into His courts. Let's give thanks to God for that.